Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. Good morning and welcome to everybody, those of you joining me here live and also all of you who are viewing us today. Thank you for joining us today. Open your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to look at a passage that lands between Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a really good Jew, uh, seeking to know more about eternal life, and a conversation Jesus had with a Roman centurion. And this is a conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman. John chapter 4. This is actually the longest recorded conversation that Jesus had with anyone. It's pretty much the entire chapter of uh, chapter 4, a long conversation. I'm going to read more lengthy passages of Scripture than usual. I think that may be the most important thing we do this morning is read it. Um, But uh, I'm going to break it up into three different sections as we examine it. But before we start there, I want to ask, are, are, you, are any of you like the kind of people that um, run out of gas? So, yeah, I see a few hands. I don't know what it is about me. I, it's been a long time because once I got married, Betsy put an end to that uh, nonsense. But, but growing up, like when I got my driver's license at 16, and back then we used to get our driver's license the first day we were able to, and... And uh, I got my driver's license, and I'm sure it wasn't two or three weeks after that that I ran out of gas for the first time. And I actually got really good at running out of gas. There's a technique, right? You got to know how long have you got and making sure you're not too far away to make it too inconvenient and who's with you and all those kind of things. I remember one night in particular that I I picked Betsy up for a date, and, and I was low on fuel, and she could tell, and she's telling me and frustrated about it, but I was just going to prove a point. I did not run out of gas with her in the car, got her home, but I knew I was on fumes going all the way home, and I had nothing open, and that day when I pulled onto the street where I live, I, I picked up as much speed as I possibly could, and sure enough, I ran out of gas on the road to my house and just coasted into my driveway uh, that day. I got good at it. I got good at running on empty. But you know, when it comes to real life, running on empty is really hard. It's it's really difficult. And today we're going to examine a story of a lady who was actually running on empty. She thought she was needing water and found out that she needed something a lot more serious than water. She was running on empty. You find yourself these days running on empty. Sometimes even those of us that are believers, there's a little emptiness that comes. Hopefully our talk today will inspire some new life in you. But more importantly, for those who don't know Jesus, who are really running on empty, they're looking for answers in certain places, not realizing that their more serious and deepest need is one that only Jesus can fill. And we play a part in that story because we are the ones that help deliver the good news. Today, we're gonna examine lessons from this encounter that Jesus had with the woman in Samaria so we can know how we're supposed to respond in the same kind of situation. So what are lessons we can learn from Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria? We're gonna read first 
Um, John 4, 1 through 9. I'm going to read it from my Bible. You can read along your device, or it's going to be on the screen for you as well. John 4, verses 1 through 9. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was baptizing more than the disciples than uh, John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, Jesus left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And that's just a setup of what the in environment was, but he was leaving from Judea to go to Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field of Jacob that, had give, uh, that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, are asking for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So the first lesson that we can learn from this first part of the passage is that we need to take shortcuts to someone. Jesus actually took a shortcut to get to this, where this lady lived. There are actually two routes that he would take from uh, Judea to Galilee. One was the more lengthy route, but it was the safest route. And it was the one that you didn't have to go through uh, the neighborhood with the people that I don't want to associate with. You could stay in a neighborhood with people like yourself. And so Jesus decided to take a shortcut through a neighborhood that people don't go to. You ever seen one of those neighborhoods, right? We all know where those neighborhoods are. Going to a neighborhood that you're not supposed to go to. Jesus went to this neighborhood. He went towards the marginalized. Most of us avoid trouble. Jesus went towards it. Most of us avoid the neighborhood, he went towards the neighborhood. And so what can we find out about this lady? The, the passage, the writer, John, gives us some clues into what was going on in her life. First, uh, she was there at noon. It says the sixth hour, that's noon. So what does it mean that she was there at noon? Well, this is the Middle East. It's very hot in the Middle East. <clears throat> she would not normally go... Um, to, people wouldn't go to the well at noon. They would much rather go to the well when? Early in the morning or late in the evening. That's what we would do if it were in Florida, right? You do things early in the morning or in the evening because you don't want to go when it's really hot. So why would she go um, early, I mean, at noon? Because she didn't want to be around other people. She didn't want to be seen. She feared the socialization, people seeing her. So she was also a Samaritan. That's a minority ethnicity. They were half-breeds. They were different in race, ethnicity, religion. They're unaccepted, marginalized, and probably poor, this woman. She was a Samaritan, and she was a woman. In those days, women had no human rights of their own. They had no access to education, no personal ownership. They couldn't own anything most of the time and no resources. Most women were 100% dependent on family or husband for sustenance and advocacy. And he was having a conversation with a woman. Even she can't believe that he's talking to her. And it says later in the passage, Jesus, we'll look at it in a second, but Jesus tells her about herself and the passage reveals that she's in her sixth relationship and she's not married in this one. Some people have surmised that she was promiscuous, maybe, but 
And that may be true, but more likely she's been widowed, divorced, discarded, and unloved. She's unworthy and she's lonely. She's broken and she's heartbroken. And this is who Jesus encounters. For him to encounter a woman from Samaria in her sixth relationship at noon, there's something very deliberate about where he's going and who he's talking to. This is not a happenstance. This is very deliberate for him to encounter somebody like this. His mere presence there makes a difference. In verse nine, you can see how startled she even is. In verse nine, she says, why are you asking me? She says, so I wonder, are there people in our, where we live, work and play in our environments, people we come in contact that they need us to take a shortcut to them? Maybe it's a shortcut across the street or across town or across the office or across the classroom. Are there people who need us to take a shortcut to them? In verse 27, again, we'll look at it later, but when the disciples return, they see Jesus talking to this woman and it, they're marveled is the word that the scripture uses. They're marveled that he's talking to a woman. That word marveled is the same word used elsewhere by John for people's response to a miracle. So think about it. There's going, this is like a miracle, man. You're blowing my mind. You're having a conversation with this woman. And that's where Jesus goes with the gospel. His mere presence, Jesus' presence alone in this place and his willingness to speak to a woman and this woman were as meaningful as what he's gonna say to her, his presence. I wonder, are there venues where we need our presence? Are there places that we need to be? I also want you to notice that in verse seven, she's at the well. She did not come in looking for answers. She came looking for water at the well. She came to the well looking for water. Uh, sometimes we think the only place Jesus went is to religious institutions or the synagogues or the places of worship. Um, again, this was Samaritan, so there were no Jewish synagogues, but there were Samaritan synagogues there that he would have likely gone to. You want to talk about faith? Go to the place where people talk about faith. But no, he went to the watering hole. Stacy Thacker, an author, a member of our church, she says in her writings about it, he met her at Starbucks. That's what he did. He went to where she was. And he took the gospel there to a marginalized, unworthy, unlovely, uncared for, rejected woman. He went there. We need to, where we need to take the gospel where we live, work, and play, taking the gospel from here to wherever it needs to go. John Piper says, Jesus is the hound of heaven in gracious pursuit of us. He is pursuing us and we need to take shortcuts to find the people who need Jesus. Do you know we display the love of Jesus when we stand with someone who needs a hand up? I wonder, are there people in our culture today? You betcha there are. Marginalized in the neighborhoods we don't go to who need a help up who need a hand up. And it's time for the church to be those ambassadors, to be there. And just by our mere presence, we advocate for people. Jesus was one who went towards the marginalized and said, I love you and I care for you and you matter to God. 
His being there with a woman in this setting, just him being there with her, communicated. You know, some people, just to get access to things like this woman, no access to things like education and resources. She needs a hand. She needs somebody to help her. I like the ladder metaphor. People need a ladder. If they want to do better, they want to climb up. They, and that's what we want for people, to be able to access the things that they want to access. But the problem is, for so many people, the rungs of the ladder have been taken away and other rungs of the ladder have been taken away. And that bottom step of the ladder is just too high for too, for too many people. And they need advocates like you and me to step into that space and say, hey, I'm modeling the way Jesus did and I'm taking a shortcut to someone who needs someone to advocate for them, to be with them and to help them, to say you matter to God. Every single person matters to God. And Jesus was displaying that. And, and guess what? It doesn't have to happen here. It happens in wherever we work, live, work and play. That's where this happens. That's where we take shortcuts to people. So don't be afraid and don't be demoralized. It doesn't matter that we can't all meet. It's okay because we take the gospel from here and thousands of you are watching through the online or the television. And guess what? This is where we get to take the gospel. I read this morning in the local paper that the Supreme Court of the United States ruled against a church in Nevada who was suing the governor of that state because the governor of Nevada restricted churches to 50 people or less while at the same time allowing casinos to be open 50%. So 50% occupancy for casinos, but only 50 people for a church. And the church sued for the right to have 50% just like the casinos. And the Supreme Court of the United States said, no, the governor, the governor has the right to do it. And some are so demoralized and afraid and they're gonna like, they're gonna kill the church and they're keeping it. No, you know, that may be bad for the country, but it's okay for the church because they can keep us from meeting, but they can't keep us from being the church. And by the way, being the church is what Jesus is calling us to. So don't be demoralized and don't scare the children, okay? It's okay. We're gonna gather as long as they let us gather. And when they don't let us gather, we're still gonna be the church and we're still gonna be carrying the good news of Jesus through shortcuts wherever it takes us to whoever needs the gospel. That's what we're going to do. So we, we operate with no fear and we take shortcuts to someone. Someone in your sphere needs an advocate, needs someone to step in the, in the gap for them and say, you matter to us. Secondly, we're going to read John 4, 10 through 18 and see that Jesus gave her more than water and we need to give more than water too. Okay, so we're reading a long passage here, verses 10 through 28. So I'm going to read my Bible, you follow along. Chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his son and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become in him a spring water welling, excuse me, spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, sir, give me that water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you are right in saying I have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back and they marveled that he was talking to a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into the town. In this passage, Jesus teaches us or gives the example that we got to give people more than water. She came to the well looking for water, but he gave her something more than water. This passage in this section, he, he pivots from a physical conversation about physical water to a spiritual conversation. Let me just break it up for you the way it goes. In verses 13 through 15, he uses this metaphor of water to talk about a spiritual need that she has. In verse 16 to 18, is where he says to her, hey, go get your husband. And when she says, I don't have one, he, he reveals to her that he knows her history. This is really his revealing his deity. He's revealing that he's God and who he is and that he knows about her. In verses 19 through 25, she has these questions about worship. She begins to ask questions. You know, that's a common response to people, right? A lot of times when we talk to people about spiritual matters and we pivot from everyday life conversations to something spiritual, people put up these questions. Last week, I met a new guy in our neighborhood. His name is Don. And, you know, the conversation goes about two or three minutes until there's the typical question that I try to avoid um, just because it shuts down the conversation. And that is when they ask me, what do I do for a living? So what do you do? I go, this is the end of this one. And so... I say, I'm a pastor. Well, it actually didn't end the conversation. He, really, a pastor, where? And so I told him, First Baptist Orlando. And we talked for a little bit and then, and then he had questions he wanted to ask me. So do you believe in a literal hell? And I answered that, yes, I do. And here's kind of how I understand it. And then he wanted to know, so what's the percentage of people throughout the history of mankind? What percentage of people have gone to hell and the percentage of people that have gone to heaven? I said, well, let me get my calculator out. And, no, I didn't. <laughs> and he asked other questions, and I believe sincere questions that he had, the, the typical kind of questions, right? Like, what about evil and suffering? And what about the people that never get a chance to hear? And, and these questions, and it's a typical response that people have when they begin to 
to feel a little bit threatened, like I might have to make a decision about who Jesus is. And that's what this woman was having to do. Jesus had just revealed that he knew everything about her. And then she starts asking questions. Are we supposed to worship here or worship there? And Jesus makes a, prof- he answers in, in some way her question, but he really makes a wonderful proclamation. And that is, it's, it's not so much where you're worshiping, it's a little bit how and a lot who you're worshiping that matters is what he focuses on. And then in verse 26, he makes a declaration. I am he, this Messiah you're looking for, I am the Messiah. And John doesn't record it, but there's an obvious response that this woman has to the gospel. And you can see it in verse 28 and it's beautiful. In verse 28, here's what it says. The woman left her water jar and went to the city. Do you know what happened? Something happened in her heart that suddenly made her no longer thirsty for water anymore. Her greater need had been met. What was more important to her had been met. She had no need anymore because of, no need for water anymore because her spiritual need had been met. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, all, when we meet Christ, old things are passed away, all things become new. This lady was no longer running on empty. Suddenly she had a, a wellspring of life in her for time and eternity if she no longer needed the water. She left her jar at the well. That's what she came there for. Like, did she forget it? Of course not. She was just so overwhelmed with the spiritual act in her life of what had happened to her spiritually that she wanted to go back to the town. You can tell when somebody's no longer running on empty. There's something in them. There's an excitement to them. There's a step to them. There's a passion. There's a a spiritual side to what they do. There's a joy in them when they're no longer running on empty, when that spiritual need has been met. I had a friend in town last week who's not been to our church. He's from Atlanta. He and his wife came to church last week and they visited uh, two or three of our services to kind of get the experience. I'd asked him to do that and and he was here and I called him on Monday and said, so how was was your visit? What did you think of our church? And he's at a church at about our size in Atlanta, but it's a younger church in terms of how long the church has been there. And it's also a younger church in terms of, I think the average age of the church is about 30. And and that's the church he belongs to in in Atlanta. And so the first service that he came to here at First Baptist was the 830 service. And the average age is not about 30 in our 830 service. And I said, so how was it? He said, well, he said, it was incredible. He said, I walked in the door, my wife and I said, we're, he said, I'm a big guy. I'm like 6'2". And the people in front of us that walked in, they were tiny and old. He said, I don't know how old, but they had to be in their mid to late 80s. And they were feeble, but I saw them walking in and they had this excitement that they were at church. And he said, I'm thinking to myself, they're risking their whole lives to come to church. This is incredible. And and they walk into the building and they're excited. He said, we sit and watch. We sat where we could see them during the service and they they worshiped and sang and and they had their Bibles open. And when it was time to study the Bible, they they were just so engaged with what was happening in the service. And, And he said, you know, Danny, I'm in a church with a bunch of young people and I just had forgotten that there's a generation of people, they've been serving Jesus their whole lives and they're still fully committed and fully devoted to Jesus because of the living water that he has given to them. I thought that's exactly right. And I'm so thankful 
that we're a diverse community of all ages, of all colors, of all ethnicities, of everything. But we're all here because Jesus gave us something more than water. He gave us a wellspring of water. You can tell when somebody's had something more than water. I can tell by looking at you that you have. We're no longer running on empty. And the last thing I wanna talk about is that not only did he give, them, give her more than water, he watched her start, start the cycle all over again. John 4, 29 and 30, here's what it says. She went to the town to see the people. And then she started saying, verse 29, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? That's a rhetorical question. They went out of the town um, and were coming to him. And then verse 39, look what happens. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard it ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. So what does she do? She begins the cycle again. Jesus patterns for us. We, we take a shortcut and then we give people more than water and we get to watch them start the cycle all over again. She did the same thing. She went right back to the town and she took this good news of Jesus with her. And she went back saying something has been, something is different to me. Something has changed. I'm a new person because of what Jesus has done. And then she offers this simple invitation. Come and see. You know, when when you're not sure what else to say, oftentimes that's an easy place to go. You're not sure how to answer the questions. Maybe, maybe you have somebody ask you some of these hard questions and you don't know the answer. A good place to start is saying, hey, come and see. Maybe it's come and see this program, inviting somebody to watch with you, not in your home, but at the same time that you're watching. Say, hey, you know what? Why don't you just watch our service at 10 o'clock, 8.30, 11.30, next weekend, and then let's talk about it afterwards. It's just saying, come and see. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. You know, this woman did what satisfied people do. She shared. She didn't take physical water back because she left her jar, but she took spiritual water back. And she said to them, hey, come and see this man who's told me everything I've done. Someone who says he is the Messiah. Come and see. People who've been filled, share. It's what we do, finding ways to take shortcuts to someone and offer them more than water and say to them, hey, come and see this Jesus who has given me eternal life. I met this week with a member of our church. Actually, I think it was last week. And um, she's a young lady that we've helped here quite a bit. In fact, it was probably about eight years ago that I first met her. She was at a really low place in her life. And I gotta tell you over the last years, there have been days that I think, I don't know if the gospel is gonna take hold in her life because she keeps making decisions that 
don't seem in keeping what it means to follow Jesus. And she keeps stumbling and getting back up and stumbling and getting back up. And I'm pleased to report today she's in a healthy marriage and she's got three kids that she's raising to follow Jesus and she's active in our fellowship, she and her husband. And they support the work here. And she is a, she is a picture of 2 Corinthians 5.17. When someone's in Christ, old things are passed away. All things have become new, but it was a slow journey there. She is a new person. And she came to me and when she called and wanted to visit, I was worried that, oh, I hope something, I hope she hadn't made a bad decision. I hope something's not wrong. And she came and she said, I don't know exactly what I'm asking, but I just have this, this burden in my heart to be able to share with young ladies, especially that are coming behind me with the next generation so that they don't make the same mistakes that I make, so that they don't hurt the way I hurt, so that they don't have the scars on their lives that I have on my life. Danny, I want the chance to tell the next generation of people that my life's been changed because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And oh, the fullness of my heart, because satisfied people share. That's what they wanna do. And today, I wanna challenge us all Let's be satisfied people who share by taking a shortcut to someone who needs our advocacy for them, helping them, giving them more than water, and then rejoicing when we see the cycle start over again. Let's pray together. Gracious God, I love this Samaritan woman. An amazing story. What an amazing witness. I can relate to her in so many ways. And I thank you for her story and for her willingness to walk in it and follow Jesus. Thank you for the grace. Thank you for Jesus' pursuit of all of us. And for the salvation, the rich life, and the fullness that comes from it. I pray, God, cause us to be men and women who... Regardless of whether they let us meet or it's the right thing to do, that we're taking the gospel everywhere we go, to our work, play, in our lives, everywhere. We're going towards people who need us to carry the gospel to them. I pray that you would cause us to be that kind of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, Be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.